Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today is another world religion. Uh, today we're focusing on Islam, and my distinguished guest is Fouad Mesri, who is president of the Crescent Project. Fouad, uh, welcome to the table. Thank you, Dr. Bach. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's a real pleasure, and uh, we're going to just dive right in, because there's a ton to cover in trying to introduce Islam and only having 46 minutes to do it in. So let me start off first. Fouad, tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you're able to help us appreciate and um, interact with what Islam is. Yeah, thank you. My uh, father is Lebanese and my mom is Syrian, and I was born and raised in Beirut, Lebanon. My grandfather got saved in Toledo, Ohio, and he brought the gospel to our family. Uh, so during the Lebanese war, I doubted the um, existence of God, whether Jesus is true, but uh, God used the same war to draw me closer to himself. I became a believer, and I started sharing the gospel with my classmates, my neighbors. been sharing the gospel since 1979. Our ministry has uh, tools and outreach uh, materials to Muslims, uh, and we've seen uh, Muslims follow Christ, get baptized, and now serving with us. We have uh, Muslim background Christians who are on staff with us, so we praise the Lord for that. Um, I found out that many times when we talk to Christians about Islam, there are a couple of uh, misconceptions, and that's where uh, our ministry has been very helpful, not only in the U.S., but now we have staff in Europe and the Middle East to rally the church, to cross the street, and share the good news with Muslims in the neighborhood. That's terrific. Now, you actually have formal training in Islamic studies. That's right. Am I, am I right about that? Yes, I have a master's degree in Islamic studies, and I've read the Quran in Arabic uh, 20 times, now 21 times, and I've, I've written on Islam and how to witness to Muslims, and I'm working on a new book, a comparison between the Quran and the Bible to help uh, not only Christians, but also Muslims to see the difference between the two books. And you have, is it a newsletter that you circulate through the web? Am I right about that, that you have out of your organization? Yeah, Christian Project does multiple activities. We have um, web training, it's called Bridges, and then we have a DVD study called Bridges Study, where about 26,000 people have gone through the study. And then uh, we have a two-day conference and a one-week conference, and we rally the church, number one, to pray. We believe that Jesus' words, when he says in Matthew chapter 9, ask the Lord of the harvest. So we're asking Christians to pray for Muslims, Friday at noon, and we send an email called Call to Prayer. And that email is to challenge the church, to challenge believers, to look at the news and then look beyond the news. Not only see what CNN and Fox News and whatever you hear on the web. We want people who love Jesus to see beyond the news and see that Christ is working, and we have a role as believers to share the gospel to shine the light. Jesus says, you are the light in the darkness. So we want to shine the light to our Muslim friends, neighbors, colleagues, refugees, 
So this is what we do. We ask people to pray with us, and we send an email on a regular basis. Okay, now um, let me transition now actually to talking about Islam. And you said there are a couple of misconceptions that people have about Islam that they often approach you about. I think rather than going through the question I had, I think I want to start with that one. What are, what are a couple of the common misconceptions that people have about Islam that they need, need to really um, understand in order to even begin the conversation? Yeah, that's a very good point, especially as believers, especially if our listeners are believers and born and raised in North America, we have a tendency to think that all Muslims are Arabs, and that is not the case. Today, there's 1.5 billion Muslims. Most Muslims today are not Arabs. They could be Indonesian or Persian. Iranians are Persian. They're not Arab. It's an insult to call an Iranian an Arab, it insults them. Or they're Turkish. If you call a Turkish man an Arab man, that's very insulting. It's a derogatory term. And, and vice versa, if you call an Arab Turk or Kurd or Persian, that's a very bad term in our culture. We, we're very proud and racist in our view of culture. So for us as North American believers, we need to know not every Arab we meet is necessarily a Muslim. There are many Arabs who are Christian. They're still a minority, but there are. There are 15 million Coptic Christians in Egypt. There are um, at least 2 million Christians in Lebanon between evangelical, Orthodox, and Catholic. So just because you meet an Arab person does not mean they're automatically a Muslim. However, most Muslims today are not Arab, which adds to the problem because the Quran, the Book of Islam, is written in Arabic. So majority of Muslims today who are not Arab, do not even understand what they are reading. They might be reciting it, maybe they know some words, but sadly today, most Muslims do not know what they are reading, if, if they read the Qur'an. Eight out of ten Muslims have never read the whole Qur'an. Yeah, and, and, and they're, they're, man, there are layers to this. So uh, the, you're making several points. One is it's not every Arab is a Muslim. The second is that uh, there are actually more Asians who are Muslim than Ar- than Arabs, uh, and and so uh, and then the third is is that there are a lot of people who are Muslim who don't connect to what the West often thinks of as the holy book of Islam, and then thinks about it in terms of the way Christians relate to the Bible, and it's not that simple in Islam either. Right? It is. And it's one of the good ways to think about it. Um, we come, most Americans have a evangelical or Protestant background. Well, the Protestant Reformation was about putting the language of the people into the church, bringing the Bible into the language of the people. So the Bible was put into German, Dutch, other languages, English. While today, the Quran must be read and recited in Arabic, and only certain people can give you religious decisions. So think of 21st century of millions of people living what we used to live under the papacy in dark ages, where everything was done in Latin, Latin was the holy language, people would go to what we call mass and leave, have no idea what was read, or even a faintest idea what was done. So Islam becomes the religion of ritual, and the word Islam comes from the Arabic word salama, not salam. Salam means peace. Salama means to surrender. According to Islam, humans are slaves and they surrender to Allah, the master. 
So the relationship between a master and slave is a relationship of fear and obedience. Your best thing you could do in Islam is to obey God. The best thing you could do in the Bible is to be a friend of Jesus. Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what the master is doing. I call you friends. So there is a different understanding. Islam brings the fear, the shame. Uh, they, it gives you details. Islam details for you everything from how to wash your hands, how to do prayer, to do salat, to how to have sex with your wife. Uh, the gospel is different. It doesn't give you rules. The gospel gives you principle. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. They didn't tell you how to do it because it's a principle. I can do it in many ways, multiple ways. From I, I can love my neighbor from cutting his lawn to inviting him to a meal. So Jesus says, do unto others what you want to do unto you. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. So suddenly our concepts are totally different. Here's a religion that says, follow Jesus. The ultimate thing I could do in my life is to worship Jesus, to follow him, to uh, have a relationship with him, to know that I can call Abba Father when I pray, to vice versa, to praying a specific prayer. You can only say the seven verses in the beginning of the Quran when you pray. There are canned sentences that you can pray. You cannot talk to God at, at the level that you can talk to him in the Bible. It's He's not your heavenly father, he's your master. So many times that's what keeps Muslims in the, in the Islamic faith is they have this fear and, and afraid from God's punishing them, and also they have this fear of shaming their culture. It becomes infused. Their religion is infused with the culture. So I meet people from Afghanistan. I tell them, are you Muslim? They say, yeah. I say, why? He goes, well, I'm Afghan. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's like, you know, they, they have never studied the Quran or compared it to another other religion. They're just Muslim by birth. They're just, you know, it's, they are Muslim because they're Afghan. And, um, uh, and that's so sad because it's the 21st century, and still there are governments today, it's illegal to have a Bible in their country, and it's illegal if you change religion, you will be executed. I mean, it's, it's a disgrace that today, in the 21st century, somebody can die for choosing a different religion. And that, that is embarrassing to the whole planet. How can we even accept that, that people don't even have a choice? What a shame that people don't have a choice of choosing the religion. You know, we can choose our Starbucks coffee, we can get a latte, we can, you know, I can go pick a different car, but in many Muslim countries, I cannot even choose what book to read. Okay, let, let me let me back up because I think you've gotten a little ahead of us here. So, uh, and and let me ask the question this way: M Many people who are used to Christianity are used to it. At least if you're thinking about evangelical Christianity, you're thinking about it being a religion of the book that is built around the Bible and and kind of uh, an attempt to follow the Bible, that kind of thing. So, so the holy book, if I can say it this way, operates at the center of the faith. At least it's when it operates the way it should. That's an important part of the way Christianity um, demonstrates itself and, and, and works. In Islam, it's not that simple. It's not just the matter of the way of reading the Quran and following the Quran, because you've got different sects 
of Islam. You've got uh, you've got uh, the whole jurisprudence that comes along how the Quran is operated. You've got hadiths that are in operation that are interpreting the Quran, that kind of thing. So talk a little bit about that. That 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 when you meet a Muslim, uh, you're it's it's not a monolithic thing that you're that you're encountering. Even though there are certain parts of Islam that that Muslims share across all those all those groupings. Yes, thank you. Muhammad, uh, when he started, according to Islam, everything I'm sharing now, that's according to Islam. Historical findings now are even doubting the story. But the story is that Muhammad was an orphan in Mecca. He was raised as a pagan. And then later, when he was 40, an angel appeared to him and told him that he's a prophet. So he taught the Arabs the worship of one God. Due to persecution, he ran away to another city, which we call Medina. And he started attacking the pagans. Basically, he won that war in 630 AD. He destroyed the idols in the Kaaba and kept the pilgrimage of the Kaaba. Now, there is a crisis in Islam. In Islam, Allah speaks to Gabriel, and according to Islam, the angel. And angel Gabriel speaks to Muhammad, and Muhammad leads the people. So Muhammad died in 632 AD. According to the hadith, the traditions, Muhammad died being poisoned. So we have a struggle right now as Muslims. If Allah speaks to Jibreel, to Gabriel, and Gabriel speaks to Muhammad, Muhammad is dead. What do we do? So there was a big split in Islam. Who will become the successor of Muhammad? In Arabic, is Khalifat al-Rasul, or Caliph. So the, that fight, his first cousin, Ali, said, I should be the one succeed, succeeding. Others disagreed. Those who disagreed with Ali became what we call Sunnis, using the word Sunnat al-Rasul, means the way of the Prophet, the path of the Prophet Muhammad. Those who followed Ali were called Shi'at Ali, means the followers. So these two branches had a huge fight, and the Shia lost the fight multiple times. Most Muslims today are Sunnis. So these are the two big umbrellas, Sunni and Shia, over the fight of who can lead the Muslim nation. It is very important that the attacks of September 11, most Americans think it has to do something with politics. Its roots are in the abolishment of the caliphate in 1923. Regardless of that, it's very important to understand that as a Muslim, who interprets for you the Quran, then you have different denominations. So you have the big two umbrellas, Sunni and Shia, but under them, there are different uh, sects and, and partitions because you need someone to reinterpret the Quran. And the word jurisprudence is number one, to look at the Quran, the basically some Arabic grammar, sentence structure, then look at the hadith. Hadith is traditions on the life of Muhammad. And then they add uh, what scholars decide. So give you an example. Can I marry a girl age 10? In the United States, that's illegal. There is what we call an age of majority. But according to Islam, you can marry a girl as young as six. Because one, the, had, the Quran says you can marry as many women. He says, marry as many you want. And then he says four only at the time. Then Muhammad himself married Aisha at age six. Because of the jurisprudence, he said, okay, as an imam, I can give permission to men in my community to marry women age six, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So one of the crises we have in the Middle East 
is child brides. Hmm. Uh, and it's all over the Middle East. It's not happening only in one country. And then many times the legal system does not stop it. And sadly, the, this is all uncovered because I guess in America somebody's used their Twitter account and now we're busy. But uh, that's another cup of tea. That's but the right. idea is these are the issues we're dealing with. When you look at Islam, they're not all the same. It could be Sunni branch, Shia branch, but under those two umbrellas are different sects. So you have uh, uh, the Alawites are from the Shia branch. You have the Wahhabis are from the Sunni branch. And then you have cults. We have the Ahmadiyyas, the Baha'is, and these are con- and the Ismailis are considered branches or cults out of uh, these uh, religious um, denominations. So it's important what you're saying, Dr. Bach, is that when you meet a Muslim, it's easy to put them all in one box, and we shouldn't. We need to know that they come from different backgrounds. And, and, and they also and approach, connecting, they also approach their interaction with culture in in different ways as a result. So not so um, uh, so so some of them are uh, are 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 hostile, and some of them are are less than hostile. If I can say it that way, they they will engage. That's also important to know, isn't it? Yes, many times uh, it depends how engaged Islam in the culture. So I'll give you an example. Albanian Muslims, uh, Bosnians, their Islam is very, it's like a veneer. It's something that they do, maybe they fast Ramadan, they don't know Islam, they can't read the Quran Arabic. Compare that to somebody from Saudi Arabia, where a woman cannot drive, a woman cannot... Uh, leave anywhere without permission and have a male escort with her all the time to make sure she's safe. So that, that that's why it's very important to understand when they come to America, what what is their view of the United States? Now, I would like to share with our audience is that today we are seeing more openness by Muslims to the gospel, and many Muslims today are more interested to know about American culture and our faith because it's not accessible. I mean, many Saudi students, when they come to America, the number one, one thing they want to do, they want to visit a church because there are no church building in Saudi Arabia. It's illegal to even build a church or have a Bible or even a Bible store, a bookstore with Bibles. So many Saudis are interested to know. Maybe they don't want to become Christian, but they're interested. And what a great opportunity that we can talk to a student about Christ. Okay, so let's tra- let's transition and try and help people understand a little more about uh, about uh, Islam, and I think the the place I want to start is you often hear about the five pillars of worship. That um, it, just to give a give a feel for this, and and I I kind of want to go through these somewhat quickly, but one at a time, so that uh, people get a sense of of kind of the range of what this covers. Uh, the first is the confession of faith. That is, there's no God but Allah, and Muhammad is, is his prophet, which is kind of the theological yeah. core of, of Islam. Uh, and I, I take it formed a little bit in reaction to Christianity, but an affirmation of monotheism at the same time. Yeah, uh, you, you can say that, and it's important to know that once they say that, does not mean they're all the same faith, mm-hmm. because they could use that as a... Uh, to say they are from the Muslim umbrella, but they could be Shia or Sunni using that. The other thing is, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, becomes a magical statement. They whisper it in the ears of children when they're born. Uh, if they are entering a place or they're afraid of 
uh, demonic activity, they would use that. So it's important to understand that uh, Islam is more of a ritualistic religion rather than a logical religion. So we use these things in the ritualistic form. Mm. When you enter the mosque, when you start prayer, when there's a birth, when there's a death, if you're, if you're in a place that you're scared, you say that. Yeah. Okay, and then the second is prayer, which is five times a day. I've been in, in Muslim countries where everything stops, uh, you know, in the middle of the day as people pull out their mats and pray. So, uh, so prayer is an important part and is one of the, these five pillars, right? Yes, and the prayer, yes, absolutely. Salat is not really prayer in the biblical sense. Salat is basically a ritual. You have to wash your hands in a specific way, then all the openings of your uh, face, and, and then you have to wash your feet. After that, you can do salat. If you don't do the wudu, it doesn't count. And the second thing is you are not talking to God. You are reciting the first seven verses, and when you end, you look to your right and say, Assalamu alaikum, which means peace be upon you, and to your left, you say, Assalamu alaikum. Even if you're alone, you do this. So you ask Muslims, why? who are you greeting? You're alone doing salat. And they say, I'm greeting the angel on the right who keeps track of my good works, and the angel on the left who keeps track of my bad works. Basically, the Islamic prayer is showing God that you did it just correct. If you skip one, you can make it up. You can even add another kneeling, another rak'ah, because according to Muhammad, adding an extra one helps you on Judgment Day. So it's very important when Muslims say, oh, we pray five times a day. Well, no, you have a ritualistic activity five times a day. I pray all day. Yes, I pray. I'm talking to God. So it's important. The English language there is not uh, sufficient because the word prayer they're talking about is a ritualistic activity. Now, the Sufi branch of Islam claims that you can do that and then add your own dua. Dua means appeal. So it was influenced by Rumi and others. But uh, Islamic prayer, as instituted by Muhammad from the beginning, you do not add any of your words. God is not interested. These are not holy words. You use only the Quranic verses. And you must do it exactly. Even they say that the water should go between your fingers. It's very important. It has to go between, or else you've done it wrong. You have to redo it again. And wudu must happen. After that, you cannot touch a Christian, a Jewish person, a pagan, or a woman. Because a woman might defile you as a man, uh, or, be, or walk on the street and get splashed by, like when the cars drive by, maybe that water has some defiled water, and that will defile you. So it's very important to do the wudu right before you're going to do prayer. That's why in the mosques there's a bathrooms where they have these uh, seats with a, with a t- uh, tap. So you do the wudu, and immediately you can be holy enough to pray. Well, <laughs> well Jesus says you are holy because he makes us holy. We had talked about the confession of faith. We had talked about what I called prayer, but actually is a more of a ritualistic uh, five times a day uh, address of a, of a set uh, of a set uh, piece, a liturgy, if you will. Uh, there are three other uh, p- pillars to this, and then I'll let you go through them one at a time. There's the fasting, especially during Ramadan. There are alms, the call to serve the poor. And then there is the Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca. Those are the, those make up the other three of the five pillars. Um, so let's pick up with the idea of fasting in, in Islam. 
God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Yes, thank you. Uh, in Islam, many times you hear them say Islam is an easy religion because you have to believe in five things and you must do five things. You must believe in God and his angels and his prophets and his books and judgment day, which is very important. And the five things that we do is to do the, to claim the Shahada or the creed, to do the Salat, the ritual Salat, and then the fasting, which happens during Ramadan. It's a lunar month, so it changes with our calendar, with a solar calendar, but it's, you cannot eat during the daytime or drink water during the daytime. You only can eat and drink at night, but that's a month of fasting. Then the alms. The Sunni branch of Islam says you give 2.5% of your income. Uh, Shia tends to give 5% of the income. Now, define what is income. That's another conversation. But then, uh, lastly, is pilgrimage. And according to Muhammad, said anyone who can do pilgrimage must come to Mecca, visit Mecca in a lifetime, once in a lifetime. Now, some will do it more. If you come at another time than Hajj, pilgrimage, it's called Umrah, which is not as much credit. You don't get as much credit as if you go to Hajj. This year, we had almost 2 million people go to Saudi Arabia and visit Mecca and Medina and do the tawaf, which is going around the Kaaba, kissing the black stone, throwing stones at the devil, and then going to where Muhammad gave his last uh, message. Okay, and the Kaaba is what, just for people who wouldn't know what that is? Uh, Kaaba is an Arabic word meaning cube. It's a basically a square room. Uh, build, it, it's, historically, it's built a couple of times. It's fallen and before, but supposedly, according to Islam, this was built by Abraham, and he used it to sacrifice his son Ishmael, where God provided a sheep instead of his son. And so according to Islam, it's supposed to have been from the days of Ishmael. Okay. But it's right there, the, the mosque is built around this room. It's a, it's a square room. Okay, so, um, so we, we can go back and collect an idea I think you talked about in the first segment a little more, and it's, and it's this. The, the name Islam, uh, you said meant, uh, I actually have heard the translation struggle, but you used a different translation. Um, so Islam comes from an Arabic word that means, and I'll let you fill in the blank. Yeah, salama means to uh, surrender. You submit. You are, it's Islam is the religion of submission. Okay. That's why all you have to do to become Muslim is to say the creed. Once you say the creed, la ilaha illa Muhammad Rasulullah, once you say that in front of a Muslim, you are now a Muslim. That's all you have to do. 
Now, you know, I was listening to an imam on, on YouTube uh, two days ago, and he says, now once you declare to become Muslim, you come in and we tell you what Islam is. Hmm. So I cannot interact with the text. I cannot tell him, well, I have a problem that, you know, Muhammad allowed four wives at a time. Yeah. You can't say it. You cannot question that. That's what the Islam says. I cannot say, for example, uh, why Muhammad is a prophet. That's an insult. That's a blasphemy. So doubt in Islam is a sin. You come into Islam and we tell you what is the faith. Uh, now, the, the other thing I need to make sure our listeners are aware of is that most Muslims today did not choose Islam. They did not decide between the Bible and the Quran. They did not read them. They were told some false information. So most Muslims today believe that Christians worship three gods. Well, that's not true, but they tell them we worship three gods. Most Muslims today believe that Christians worship Jesus as the result of a sexual union between God and Mary. That's not true. That's, that's a blasphemy for us. Uh, most Muslims today are told that Adolf Hitler was a Christian. That's not true. If you study any, if you go to the Middle East, they teach them that this man had a Christian faith. He did not have Christian faith. So we have false information. Uh, growing up in Lebanon, we would get uh, some uh, movies and things from, the, from Europe and America, and they would, look, they would point to that as um, uh, Christian ethics. So when you look at the Hollywood, they say, well, these movies, uh, this is how Christian ethics is. And that is embarrassing because, one, that is not true. Many times movies do not represent Christian ethics or biblical teaching. So it's important to understand when you meet a Muslim is they do not know what we believe. They might not know what they believe. They might maybe know a little of it. But on top of that, they do not have any idea what we believe. Yeah, I, I, I remember having a conversation with, with uh with a, a Christian in Turkey who, who came out of a Muslim background, and he said when he was growing up, he thought every Westerner was a Christian and that everything that came out of the West yeah. was Christian. And, and so he made that association that you just talked about, which is, you know, well, Hollywood movies, that reflects Christian ethics, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of – I think the point that we're making in all this, no matter which way we're going, from Islam to – to Western listeners or to Christians or from Christians to Muslims is there's a lot of misunderstanding going both ways about what 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 their particular personal faith might actually be and what it might involve. That is correct. And so for them, the five pillars, they're looking to us. Do we have our own five pillars? Mm -hmm. So I came up with five. <laughs> I tell Muslims that Christians believe in one God. In one Savior, his name is Jesus, one spirit that binds us together, one message called the Bible, and then one family. We all are in one family. It doesn't matter if you're from Africa or from Europe or from China or wherever you're from. We are all one family in Christ, John chapter 1, verse 12. So it's exciting when, when you come at the conversation from one respect and knowing they have these five pillars you can communicate with our own five pillars. But it's. I love what you're saying to our audience, uh, Dr. Bach, here, is that we need to know not all Muslims are Arabs, not all Muslims know necessarily the religion, but all Muslims know a little bit about these pillars, these things that they should do. Whether they're doing them or not, at least they know about them, and we can start a conversation knowing where they're coming from. 
Interesting. Um, the, let me uh, let me let me kind of shift gears here and, and talk about. Well, let me let me go where I was going with the, by defining Islam, uh, and you put it in terms of submission. One of the differences that stands out to me about Islam, in contrast to Christianity, at least at the doctrinal level, is is that Islam is about this relationship of of submission, and if I can say it this way, the emphasis in Islam is on a very sovereign God, if I can say it that way. The emphasis in Christianity, Christianity has this whole covenantal dimension of how God relates to and engages with his creation, uh, cares for it through covenant relation, etc. There's nothing quite that equivalent in in Islam, am I am I am I right in saying if there's one big difference in the conception of God, perhaps perhaps the difference between the Trinity and monotheism, it would be that dimension at a relational level. Is that is that fair? Yes, sir. Especially that God in Islam is transcendent, sovereign, but He's also transcendent. He's unknowable. Mm-hmm. While God of the Bible, especially in the prodigal son. It's not only the waiting father, but he is the father who runs. He's the, in the, in the, it says in John chapter uh, 3, verse 16, for God so loved that he gave. This idea that God is sovereign, God is on his throne, but his holiness demands of him the idea of uh, redemption. That he is the God, uh, the redeemer. He's the God who saves. So you are correct. So for you and I, uh, when we read scripture, we find in the Bible the saying, God wants us to talk to him. He yearns for us. You find in Islam, no, if you do not do this, there is punishment. The word hell is almost mentioned in every page of the Quran, almost. Hmm. And so there is Islam starts with the idea that Muhammad came as a messenger, but, but also Nadira. Nadira means he's telling them, hey, there's judgment day, there's hell. While for us, Christ says, Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. It's a totally different understanding of who God is. Now, now, and again, just talking about Islam again, there's a huge variety within Islam, uh, depending on which sect you're a part of, how you engage in, well, which imam you connect yourself to, uh, et, et cetera. Um, so, so that uh, one of the things that's a challenge in in interacting with Muslims is actually understanding how they understand their own Muslim faith that's and what correct. they do and don't believe. Yes, and so that means that if you're engaging with someone who comes out of a Muslim background, probably the first thing you have to do is have some conversation in which you let them talk to them about what they believe and what they're committed to, et cetera. So you begin to get a, a, a clue and an inclination about what it is that draws them to the faith, what, how they view their spiritual uh, relationship to God and, and that kind of thing. It, and it strikes me that Islam's attraction is the orderliness that it gives to life, to, in the way it sees it, and also in this um, this sense of of duty that it develops, uh, those kinds of things. What else? What else makes Islam? What causes someone to be an adherent to Islam? There's a nationalism that's sometimes attached to it, I guess. Uh, what else uh, cr- creates the attraction to Islam for someone who's a Muslim? Yeah, it's uh, you said it said it correctly. Most Muslim cultures are very chaotic. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of chaos, and Islam brings order and structure for them. Uh, 
Islam answers the questions on, well, what do I do when I eat? What do I do? You know, they say you, you use your right hand, not your left hand. So it's very important that way. But also there's this idea of shame and honor. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to admit that, you know, the Iranian let's say culture is is wrong or i don't want to admit that lebanon has failed you know so what i want to show is i'll start pointing out what's wrong with others other religions because i want to defend my religion so there's shame and honor also i want to honor my family so there's this fear somehow if i said something negative about islam it might um, shame my family so i stay stay with it uh, also, because I am ignorant of other faith, I think, oh, this faith must be the best. So I'll give you an example. If I believe that all people are polytheist, including the Christians, they worship three gods, God, Mary, and Jesus, why should I change? Islam is the best. It teaches one God, and that's the right way. Okay. So you find that the, the, I don't have a correct comparison, but still that comparison com- convinces me that this is the best thing. Uh, the other thing we discovered as as Muslims come to the West, they don't see believers. They don't see uh, practicing Christians. So it becomes a way for security for them. Give you an example. If I'm if I go downtown to many major cities today in, in the United States, there's crime, there's um, drunkenness, there's drug addiction. So if I move to this country and I find myself in a neighborhood where this is happening. I think, wait, wait a second, Christianity has failed in America because people are living this way. So I will retreat back to what I was raised in thinking that is the best thing. Now, for converts, we discovered those who convert to Islam, we discovered many of them, majority of them are in it because it's exotic. It gives them something new. It gives them some kind of structure, ritualistic structure. Uh, it's sad the number of people who convert to Islam without even, you know, studying the Quran or even studying the life of Muhammad. But the good news is many. Uh, the good news is that also those who convert to Islam also convert out and they become believers in Christ as they do their homework on Scripture. Uh, so it's important to know when you meet a Muslim that their culture affects, their background affects, their information how much information about other religions affects that. And then uh, Islam could be the structure uh, that is uh, comforting for them in a society like United States or Canada, where there's a lot of uh, uh, diversity, a lot of uh, options, and they feel like, hey, that's too much. Now, you've yeah. suggested this already, and I've, it's actually been part of my experience as well, that there are many Muslims, particularly Muslims who have who have who have either been forced out of the Middle East or have chosen to come here, who really, in part, many of them come because they've rejected or don't want to be a part of the life that they lived formerly, and they are open to to thinking about uh, Christianity. So, So here I want to kind of transition from, okay, this is what this is what a Muslim is attracted to in being a Muslim, to how does the gospel speak into those attractions and how do you, how do you move people in that direction? And I think the first step is to say that because Muslims are coming from so many different places and in many cases are, are uh, nominally attached to their faith, 
there actually is a lot of opportunity to engage with, get to know, and 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 share your faith with Muslims. Am I right about that? Yes, thank you. This is very important that our listeners know this, that today many Muslims are asking questions, not only because of the attacks of September 11, but the Arab Spring and the war in Syria and the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan. Many are asking questions, does God really exist? Uh, does God care? Uh, is there other ways, uh, are there other ways to know about God than Islam? Uh, our team in in, Cy- in uh, Sicily and in Greece, and when the refugees arrive, they're all saying, thank you. Uh, one of our teams, the, the Muslim man said, you Christians are here to take care of us. Thank you. Why? Why you do this? Uh, a church did uh, worked with us and did our training in Austin, Texas. Uh, last January, they were in Athens working with refugees. And the man asked the question, why do you call Jesus son of God? And the pastor answered the question. The next day he came, he says, I want to take Christ as my savior. This makes sense that I can find salvation and assurance that my sins are forgiven. I don't have to greet the angel on the right and the angel on the left. So suddenly this man's need was an answer to this theological question. What do you mean by son of God? The other person, his view of Christianity was maybe the enemy and discovered they were the help. Um, another uh, another church in Oregon, they did the training how to witness to Muslims. They're working with refugees. And uh, I met one. Uh, I met this older gentleman. He's like the grandfather. His number one, when he found out I speak Arabic, he doesn't speak Arabic. His number one question was, would you give me an Injil, an Arabic New Testament? Would you give me an Arabic New Testament? I want to read the words of Jesus. And when I asked him why, he goes, the, from the moment we moved to this country, you know, when moment they welcomed us in America, the Christians are the number one people around us. Um, I was in Kansas City. I was preaching in a church. I looked to my left on the second service. There are two women with the Arab garb, with the hijab. So after the service, I went straight, said, Salaam Alaikum, and this is Alaikum Salaam. I said, do you attend this church? They said, oh, we're students here. We were invited by our classmate, and we've attended here the last year. We love coming, hearing about God and Jesus. And it was it was a very wonderful conversation. Now, the, both ladies, uh, they were from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. They did not tell me if they had become believers. I'm not sure why was their cause. But the, one of them asked me, how can she get a Bible uh, to her family? And uh, we gave her a way to get her Bible to her family back in Saudi. So there is this desire for many times when they see our love, where they see our light, when they see our kindness, they want to know more because they don't know. Many Muslims, they, they hear about Jesus, that he was born the Virgin Mary. Uh, two Afghan ladies uh, said to their, to their, uh, to this American friend, they said, we knew about Jesus coming to earth, but we didn't know that he died and rose from the dead. That is the core of the message, that Jesus is the Savior who died and rose from the dead. So uh, I, I get excited because we, I have so many Muslims I talk to or testimonies of people just beginning conversation, just beginning conversation. Oh, you're a Muslim? Oh, you believe in one God. And begin that conversation. Let them share. Uh, and then uh, let, the, the, let the God of, 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 uh, of uh, Abraham lead them to the knowledge of Christ the Messiah. Interesting. The, you know, I've heard the same story. I have a, 
a missionary friend who's in Albania and the story that you told about, you know, why are you here taking care of us, you know, as a both a surprise and creating an openness, being uh, just showing good hospitality, for lack of a better description, uh, opening the door to thinking about how to pursue uh, some of these relationships, and of course, the stories of students who come over here, who are ministered to through uh, through organizations that seek to host them and help them acclimate to the United States, et cetera. They're loaded with testimonies of people whose experiences led them to the Lord. So there are lots of of ways to do this. We've just got about three and a half minutes left. So, um, so uh, let me ask you one other question. Uh, sometimes the person of the idea of Jesus being God is a huge hurdle for a Muslim initially because they don't think God engages in the everyday activities of life. I mean, and even the everyday uh, products of life, if I can say it that way. I'm trying to say this gently. Um, and, and so the idea that God could be human, you know, and go through the, the limitations of humanity is something that is offensive to a Muslim. Do you have any advice about how to have that particular conversation with with a uh, with a Muslim who raises that kind of an objection, yes, thank you. Uh, this was also an issue for the Jewish people in the days of Jesus. They picked up stones to stone our Savior, and Jesus says, "What good deed I'm being stoned?" And they said, "We're stoning you for blasphemy." This concept is strange. We agree with that, but it is a biblical concept. The way we discovered that it works, one, you explain to them that Jesus is the Word of God. You say, Jesus is the Word of God. Many times they say to me, is Jesus God? I say, no, he's the Word of God. And they say, okay, we agree with that because the Quran calls Jesus Kalimatullah, the Word of God. Hmm. So they don't know what that means. Then I say, is there a difference between God and his Word? Well, there's no difference. This means whatever God can do, his Word can do. And so it's important. Colossians, he's the image of the unseen God. Hebrews, God who spoke through many prophets. In these last days, he spoke through uh, Jesus. So it's important to understand, to, to not be afraid to claim what the Bible claims. But if I want to take it on the practical level a little bit more. Yeah, we're going to have, we're running out of time, so it's got to be quick. Yes, sir. Uh, the practical way is let them read the words of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I have an imam, Imam Hassan was in Nebraska. At a coffee shop, somebody gave him a Bible. He read the words of Jesus, which, where he says, from their fruit you shall know them. He gets saved and baptized. The words of Jesus speak for who Jesus is. Many times we try to explain this with our own power. Let the word speak for itself. You know, that's a great piece of advice. Uh, the other person I was talking about who is in Turkey, came from Muslim background, said, the way I came to the Lord is someone gave me a Bible and I started reading. And the more I read, the more intrigued I became, the more I realized that what I'd been told about Jesus wasn't what reflected in the Bible. And I came to the point where I understood that, that, uh, that what I'd been told in Islam versus what I was reading in the Bible, he came to identify with what the Scripture was saying, and he came to the Lord. And he, he's now uh, one of the few trained ministers in Turkey um, today. So, so it's an interesting story. Well, uh, Fouad, I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about Islam, helping us kind of get our hands around what is a complex religion. We've hardly done it justice in the little time that we've had here, but at least we've gotten the conversation started, and I thank you for being with us. 
Thank you. Thanks for being And we thank you for being a part of the table and hope you'll be back again with us soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.